when we transfer to the 45, I realize that I'm not sure where we are anymore. I move to the 49 section and sit down. There are less people now, only a handful in this section. Among them is the fortune teller, the old man. I turn to see the woman in dark shades too, except she's no longer wearing the dark shades. She's staring down at her phone, sleepily. The old man is looking at me. Just a blank stare for a second. Then he turns to a woman reading a newspaper directly behind me. Pick a number. This shit again. She looks up, nervously. And then her face contorts into annoyance. She straightens her posture and looks directly at the old man. Her light gray blazer is sleek and starched. The lapels are entirely unwrinkled and reinforce her torso like steel beams. Excuse me? She responds with a matriarchal confidence. Pick a number. She shakes her head side to side, disappointed. Then she straightens her paper and continues to read. But the old man gets up. He jerks forward with a limp. Pick a... Hey, man! Look, she doesn't want to pick a... But the woman puts one finger up, still looking down at her paper, and the guy next to her falls silent. She looks annoyed again, almost more annoyed by this stranger than she was by the old man. She flicks her head up and locks eyes with the old man. She utters one crisp word. Five. The old man smiles, and he sits down. He raises the fortune teller carefully. In, out, open, close. His fingers work through five rhythmic beats. Then he raises another fold, a new fold, and reads, Sequence. A refuge for the thoughtless. Pattern. Safe in bed lie the cutlass. The next step, a horizon. We advise in quiet voices, disguise in many choices. For the next step, what will you pay? What is it you want today? I want nothing I don't have, the woman retorts. Wrong answer. And the old man turns to the window. And he returns the fortune teller to his lap. Forty-five, forty-nine, seven. The next four stops roll by with only the hum of the bus and the occasional page turn from the woman in gray. Eventually we transfer. I stay in my seat, waiting until I see a seven on one of the walls. Stop after stop goes by and slowly the bus thins, and I start to feel an intense isolation. Where are we going? It strikes me that I haven't asked this question until now. I haven't stopped to think what could be at the end of this line? Or why I'm doing this? Or why I got this recorder? Or if I was even supposed to use it? What am I doing? I should head back home, leave the recorder on the bus, or turn it over to the police. They'd understand. I was scared, and that's why I waited so long to say anything. I could tell them that someone broke into my house. 
and get me new locks or find me a place to stay. I could go back to work tomorrow morning and everything would be normal. And I could just figure this out when I've had more time to think. As doubt inflates inside me, a warning flashes across the wall of the bus. Increased air pollution. Please move away from the windows. The windows of the bus roll up, and the glass is thick and tinted, impossible to see outside. They click into place. The bus beeps pleasantly after the procedure is complete. The warning goes away, and a voice says, Thank you for your patience. No one is worried. This is normal. I've heard that in the more industrious areas of the bay, the buses have been known to filter out the air, not willing to risk the effects of the smog. But the tinted glass, how does that help? I feel the bus roll to a stop, and almost as if it had sensed my question, I get an answer. From outside, I begin to hear a soft banging. It's coming right from the other side of the door. Someone's knocking. The rhythm is fast and unsteady. Then I realize it's not someone knocking, but a whole group, rapping on the door. It's soft and sporadic. The fists striking the bus must be small, and this happens in the space of a second before the bus kicks up its ventilation system and drowns it out. The outside grows quiet. And then the bus rolls off, unperturbed. And you have to think, or I guess the whole point is that you don't, but I can't help but thinking, were there children on the other side of that door? Were they pushed back as the bus pulled off, their hands dragged along the outer steel? And with the corrective suspension, you never even know if the bus rolled over a foot or two. I look around at the other seven people and they, like the bus, are unperturbed. Then I looked down at my journal. Maybe I was never meant to get this recorder, to know that name, to ride this bus line, but it doesn't matter. Not now. I write one line in the journal, and that line is this. I get to the end of the bus line. Three stops later and almost everyone has left the 49. A seven has yet to appear on any wall. In fact, there are no numbers except for 49. I have no idea how far this line goes. At every stop, I briefly look out the door, but I can't find any identifiable landmarks. Stop after stop goes by. I watch as one after one the remaining people get off, and then I am alone on the bus. Until I glance behind me, and I see the old man, the fortune teller. Me and the old man. We sit in silence. For a long stretch, there are no stops. I keep expecting him to say something to me, now that there's no one else for him to harass. But he says nothing. He doesn't even look at me. And finally, the bus stops. And the doors open, and a message appears on the walls. End of line. I let out an involuntary sigh, exhausted. Again, I was wrong. Not a phone, not a bus line. And now I'm hours from the city. I look back at the old man, but he makes no move to stand or leave the bus. He's slumped against the window in a daze. 
Soon enough, this bus will circle back on this route. So, does he just ride this thing in perpetuity? Looping the lines all day? Was it just chance that we took the same path to the end? I drop my journal uh, into my backpack, snap the latch, pull the straps over my shoulders. I stand. And a thought comes to mind. Swinging my backpack to the front, I pull out the journal again, and I scan through it. I flip pages back. What is it you want today? And further back. Come, answer me this, and receive your present. And then it locks into place. I walk over to the old man. Only when I'm directly in front of him does he look up at me. Pick a number. Seven. He holds up the fortune teller, upon which I can now see there is no seven. Yet he begins to open and close it in the same pattern. One, two, three. I stop him before he finishes. I don't want a fortune. What I care about is now. He stops moving. All of his micromannerisms disappear. He no longer fidgets. His eyes stay level. And slowly he lowers the fortune teller. So, you have one then. I want to respond, but the atmosphere has changed. Something feels wrong. His voice is curt. I say nothing. And then he stands. You don't look like one of those LSC. Confusion mixes with panic, and I'm hit with a distinct sense that I'm not supposed to be here. What? You found a little bottle of shaving cream or WD-40? Something you never heard of before? Probably shaving cream. You bought it, opened it up, and inside, not what you expected. Is that about right? I'm trying to... I begin, but he cuts me off. Now you solved a few puzzles, a few riddles, and you were very clever. Very clever. And now you're here. A hero. Let me ask you something. He steps closer, and I can feel his breath. His wrinkles stretch tight over his face while it creases and folds. I'm paralyzed. When I stuck a wedge of fear into that little family, what did you say? When a couple people elected to throw a 19-year-old black man off the bus, what did you do? Oh, yeah. You solved the riddles. That's very good. You are a hero. Finally, I speak. Look, I'm not trying to be a hero. I I'm trying to do the right thing. I, I did what I thought I should. It's like I'm in another world. Confined to a three-foot square, just the two of us. He wants me to continue. My skin is bristling. I know, I know there's only one person. I know what these recorders are supposed to do, so I tried to reach out to them and send a message. This time, he does not let me finish. You used it. His breathing intensifies, and unconsciously, I match it. You're a fool. Give me the recorder. Instinctively, I pull back, finally moving again. My hand flies up to my bag without thinking, protective, but instantly he knows. You have it on you. Before I can break through the door, he leaps. The old man ramps his head into my chest. My lungs slam against my ribcage, and I cough up all the air inside my body. I can't see anything, but I feel my lower back connect with the floor of the bus, and then the force sends my neck.
front of the bus along with the old man, but its contents are poured out in front of me. The recorder. I reach for it, my head pounds harder. My fingers wrap around the cool metal container and I close my eyes. There's already a tape inside. I know he's already up. I know he's coming. I click record. <sighs> listen. Just listen to this. He's right on top of me. I toss him the recorder. It's over. I plead. One last time. Listen. Miraculously. Perhaps because this really is over. Perhaps because he knows that he has me. Or maybe out of some basic curiosity. He rewinds and plays the tape. And he hears nothing. No static, no voices, nothing. His eyes grow wide with amazement, his entire countenance changing. A spark of childlike wonder escapes without his control. How? I take advantage of that wonder. Knowing I'll only have one shot, I summon all of my strength. Every squat I've ever done, I flex my leg and swing my foot full force into his groin. Impact! The old man doubles over in pain, and in the same instant, I am up. I grab a journal and jump to my feet. As he starts to look up, I slam the hardcover of the journal into his face, and he spins, dropping the recorder to brace himself against the seat back. Jolting forward, I lower his shoulder and make hard contact with his side, pinning him into the seat. Something cracks. I follow my downward motion to swoop up the recorder, and then I sprint. I don't have time to grab my bag. I leap out of the bus and hit the ground without breaking stride. I don't know how long I have. I know I've only made it out by the grace of luck and maybe surprise. I know if he catches me, it will be over. I have no idea where I am. My phone is on the bus. In one hand I have the recorder, in the other I have the journal. And now, as I look back, I can see him limp out of the bus. Up ahead there is a house. Behind me, the bus terminal. Otherwise, just vacant lots. I run towards the house. Even with the limp, he is fast. Faster than I am. I approach the front lawn of the house and cut hard to the right. I need to get to the door. How far behind me is he? Five minutes? Less? I jump up to the small stoop. I throw my hands out to the security panel on the door. All faith now. I type in a random series of digits. Failure. The panel beeps red. The camera clicks and I can see on the monitor the signal has gone out. One more failure and it would call the police. And that'd be it. But the recorder would be theirs. I take a chance. Four, zero, four, two, four, five, four, nine, zero, seven, enter. The panel beeps. Green. But the door doesn't open. I jiggle the handle. Locked. I can hear him approaching from the street. Nothing changes. In desperation, I turn around, ready to meet my fate. But he's not there. I had mistaken the sound. Instead, what I see is a teal sedan rolling up to the curb, right next to the house. A door opens. There is no driver. The security panel behind me beeps one last time, and I see the signal stop broadcasting. Without hesitation, I bolt towards the car, leap in through the open door and slam it behind me. It locks. The engine starts. And then, unlike any ride-sharing vehicle I've ever been in, the little teal sedan peels out, exhaust popping, and I'm shot down the street with staggering acceleration. With the adrenaline fading, I can feel my body ache. 
my head beating. But the pressure in my chest, the tightness of my ribs, it releases a bit. I let the speed press my body into the cushions and I take a breath. The car speaks. Buckle your seatbelt. We can't have you dying before you get there, can we? 